0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo, high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Thank you for listening. Whether it's on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, whether you podcast, thank you for doing that. Like, follow, subscribe, however that works on whatever platform you listen. We appreciate that. We'll start today's show with still a very hot topic here locally throughout the state of Georgia, and that is. Immigration, immigration reform, immigration enforcement at the local level in cities like athens Clark, which is deemed to be a sanctuary city. There is reporting from Michelle Baruchman in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution yesterday, and I have some audio from the uh, House Public Safety and Homeland Security subcommittee that we'll get to that uh, lays a lot of this out. Uh, Michelle reports that Georgia law already restricts cities and counties from adopting a, quote, sanctuary policy where local officials give safe harbor to people who are living in the country without legal permission. However, House Bill 1105, sponsored by Republican State Representative Jesse Petrie, would build upon that restriction by imposing penalties on sheriffs and jailers who do not cooperate with federal immigration agents when someone in custody is not a U.S. citizen. Now, I'll talk to you a little bit about the trouble with that because, in a lot of cases, the problem isn't so much local law enforcement not holding someone, detaining them long enough to serve the sentence for whatever it is they've been arrested for. It's the timeliness with federal agents to come and apprehend the undocumented person. So you're dealing with local law enforcement, and jails, county prisons that in many cases are already overcrowded and lacking in the funds to continue housing folks beyond their sentence. And there's also a question of civil rights and human rights. But when you let immigration officials know you have someone that may be of concern or question But you've done the background and don't see any reason to hold them any longer than they already have to have been for whatever infraction you pulled them over for or brought them in for. And the federal immigration folks don't come to get that person. What are you to do? Back to the article, officers are supposed to communicate with the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency when someone who has been sent to jail is found to have entered the country illegally and hold them if enforcement officials send a warrant. But some cities, such as athens Clark County, limit their coordination and refuse to keep people in jail after completing their sentences to make it harder for federal authorities to deport them. Petrie, who represents Savannah, filed a bill in January, but it has gained momentum following the death of nursing student Lakin Riley, who was found unconscious Thursday on a trail in the University of Georgia's campus hours after she went for a run. By the way, we have uh, some news about the University of Georgia spending some money to upgrade their security. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The suspect charged in her death, Jose Antonio Ibarra, lives in Athens but is not a U.S. citizen. Authorities say he entered the U.S. illegally in 2022 and was previously arrested in New York. In the wake of the news, Georgia Republicans have vowed to pursue additional measures to target illegal immigration in the state and are reinforcing legislation already under consideration. So, I'm going to spend a little time zeroing in on one particular part of this bill that I find pretty noteworthy, and it's putting some whistleblower-type culture into law enforcement. And listen, you're 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 listening to someone who believes that uh, law enforcement should be held accountable for when they violate law, for when they violate human rights, civil rights. Uh, This one is interesting. Take a listen to this provision of the bill, House Bill 1105, that uh, Jesse Petrie introduced yesterday.
1: As you read on down from line 89 forward, it is currently the law in this state that when a person is confined in a jail, in this state, county or municipality or any other regional authority jail, it is the law that a reasonable effort must be made to determine the nationality of the person so confined, and that when a, any foreign national is confined for any period, the law says. A reasonable effort must be made to verify that such foreign national has been lawfully admitted to the United States. It goes on in line 99 to explain that if that is not the case, they must be reported to the federal government through the LESC, the Law Enforcement, Law Enforcement Support Center that we've discussed here before, of the United States Department of Homeland Security. So that is the job today of every sheriff in this state. What I learned a year ago. And what has been testified to in this committee is that maybe half of our sheriffs are following that law today. That is unfortunate, and that's what we're trying to address here. So on line 103, uh, you'll see exactly beginning how we do this process. The process, everything else is basically about the process. So this is how the sheriff is to report what data they gather All of that as I explained in previous uh, testimony here is is the process that was established by the Sheriff's Association in 2006 when the law was passed. They were tasked with the role of creating the process for how they do this, accepting full well and training in that this is a requirement. We've taken that language and put it in the statute to make it very clear. It came from there. On line 185, you see, getting down to the meat of that section, on K, you'll see line 185, it is the duty of the jail officer to maintain in each inmates file a record of all communication with the United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement Division of the Department of Homeland Security. We cannot know if the sheriff is doing this, if he's not able to prove it. And I'll just point that out on line 185. And finally, Mr. Chairman, on this section, one, line 194, I want to speak to a change here. Line 184 and 194 is the same. It shall be unlawful for any jailer to violate any provision of this code section. On line 195, a first violation of this code section shall be considered a violation of oath of office. That is language that has been and added in lieu of a misdemeanor of high and aggravated nature that has been added at the request of the sheriff's association we are doing so and then on line 196 you will see a person found guilty of repeated violations of this code section shall be punished for a misdemeanor of high and aggravated nature Hmm. so we've moved that back to the second offense and the first offense mr chairman would be a violation of oath of office
0: back to michelle baruchman's reporting on this. Uh, uh, Jesse Petrie's bill would also change the mission of the General Assembly from encouraging to requiring law enforcement to work with federal authorities regarding immigration issues. It also would permit peace officers, including troopers in the Georgia State Patrol, to arrest with probable cause any person suspected of being in the country illegally. There's always a, a spirited debate back and forth about the necessity or the violation of law in the existence of sanctuary cities in the first place. uh, According to the uh, American Immigration Council, uh, many jurisdictions adopt sanctuary policies uh, for reasons such as a desire to strengthen relations between local law enforcement and communities with large numbers of immigrants by allowing immigrants to work with police in reporting and investigating crimes without fear of retribution or possible deportation. As a matter of fact, we have no idea if the very... Nature of the finding and arresting Jose Antonio Ibarra might not have been by means of cooperation from others in Athens Clark County who may have been here without documentation. Now, back to Athens Clark County and the University of Georgia, wxia TV 11 Alive reporting last night. And tonight, In response to her death, the university is now going to be rolling out a new $7 million public safety plan.
2: So here are three of the highlights for you tonight. First, a permanent 20% increase to the University of Georgia Police Department budget to help add more officers on campus and to boost recruitment and retention. Next, new perimeter fencing in several areas around the 760 acre campus. And finally, more security cameras and lighting upgrades. The upgrades include blue light call boxes, license plate readers, and more crosswalks, particularly near residence halls with high foot traffic. The university says it also plans to convert 400 lights on campus to LED to produce brighter lighting at night.
0: If I'm being completely honest, I, I don't really hear a lot or see a lot in, in these enhancements that would have saved Lake and Riley in her circumstance, if I'm being honest. Uh, Vanessa McCrary Saying that right, Vanessa McRae with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, reporting on this seven point three million dollar expansion uh, of enforcement funds. Uh, the the increase in police department budget for uh, recruiting and retaining officers is know, the call boxes. I don't. I, I, I Laken had her her mobile device on her. Uh, the fencing, the lighting, I. This just seems like a vehicle or a means to uh, obtain the funding for a wish list of items that already existed beforehand. That's I I don't know. I'm just not hearing anything in in that funding increase that would have saved Lake and Riley from being attacked and and found unresponsive and near death. I got a a direct message yesterday from uh, a woman. What was her name? Pam. Uh, Pam, uh, wanting to challenge me uh, why I have the stances that I have with regard to this country's immigration policy. And of course, you know, when someone comes at you, and and Pam sort of came at me, uh, they come at you with, you know, attacks that are, you know, not based in reality. Uh, She, uh, in fact, accused me of being okay with 12 million unvetted people from all over the world, walking across our border. (laughs) And, and I'm not, I'm not okay with that. I went ahead and responded to her and and stated that, you know, I, I, well, you know, here's the thing. Um, I have, I think very valid. And I think, you know, those on the left, those on the center left and those on the far left have valid reasons for having the positions that we do on immigration and, we respond to, I call them solutions, they're not, on the right, that don't solve the crisis, that don't solve the problem, they don't solve the migration. I've talked a lot in recent weeks about root causation and how since February of 2021, a month, less than a month into office, the Biden Harris administration has been working on addressing root causation. To me, that is the solution. Uh, I'm going to spend a little bit of time in the next segment reviewing what it is that the Biden-Harris administration, and, and in my own personal you know, mindset, uh, sees as solutions to solving our immigration crisis and perhaps preventing dangerous people from coming to this country illegally. Trust me, we already have enough of our own, right? <laughs> That's the... That's the thing that's sort of missing here. We, this, this isn't just something that happens because someone who's undocumented is here. Uh, anyway, we'll go over all that. Um, just a quick review of the mindset when The Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back. My name is Ron Roberts, host of The Ron Show. And I get uh challenge all, con- all the time on social media when I take positions that, you know, may not be of the mainstream, and uh, I mean, I, I guess that's to be expected in some shape, form, or fashion, right? I'm not just here to regurgitate talking points that uh, everyone believes. Otherwise, what would make this show, this podcast unique, right? Um, so I was challenged a little bit when I was uh, chiming in. Whose thread was this? I'm sure it was somebody like uh, Eric Erickson. There it is. When, uh, and Eric has been, uh, you know, very vocal and and outspoken since the tragic death of the 22 year old nursing student, Lakin Riley, in Athens, Georgia, as is to be expected from conservative circles. Uh, I don't personally believe that their reaction is necessarily uh, vitriolic because of xenophobia, but I do think that a lot of conservative policies and let me just let's put that to the side I think that there are elements of xenophobia white nationalism obviously uh, within conservative circles and I'm not saying that that's the principal driver of policy but I do think that the elements within their overall ideological mindset uh, I, I think it stems from some of that but I also think that there are politicians who know that while they may not, be xenophobic or white nationalist, uh, that they know that a portion of their base is and needs to be placated in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Like, I I kind of think Eric Erickson, by and large, like, if, if I were to meet him and hang out, I I think if we didn't talk politics, we'd probably get along quite well. Um, we would be respectful to each other. And I, I, I feel that way about, you know, enough... Uh, level-headed, uh, and and I do think Eric's kinda sometimes level-headed uh, on this. I, I'm obviously we are diametrically opposed. Uh, anyway, within one of his social media rants, uh, you know, in the wake of the Lake and Riley murder, um, I was challenged by this lady Pam who wants to you know assert that I could care less about Americans. Or, or Lakin's family who lost their daughter. Uh, she says, you care about your side being in power, most likely because it benefits you in some way. Uh, if a politician has a D behind their name, I, I'm incapable of criticizing them. She says, that's who I'm dealing with. I'll, she obviously doesn't know me or listen to the show because those of you who do know that I've criticized Democrats plenty. Joe Biden doesn't get a pass from me. Stacey Abrams, when she was running last cycle, did not get a pass from me for running a campaign that I didn't think was all that strong of a campaign. I told Pam that I said, this couldn't be further from the truth. Obviously I care about Americans. I care about all people. And I I hope Laken's murderer, whoever he is, if it is Jose Antonio Ibarra, I hope he gets the justice deserved. And I'm pretty familiar with senseless loss too. My side being in power benefits me, a white native born man, very little. (laughs) And As I I told Pam, I've been quite critical of Democrats on my show. Pam wants to assert that I'm okay with 12 million unvetted people from all over the world walking across our border and crisscrossing the country as they please. All because uh, the, the, the guy from my side's in power. And again, that's just presumption. I'd prefer we funded our systems, in particular law enforcement, we, we have jail overcrowding all over the country because we, we can't agree that some crimes don't or shouldn't result in people being jailed. But that's another complication that the right, you know, putting the stick in the bike spoke and falling over eventually, can't seem to connect the dots on. But I, I also believe that, you know, our system deserves to have tangible pathways for citizenship of course it should be somewhat difficult to become an American citizen it should also be somewhat easy to at least get processed but I also believe that as a country we bear some responsibility nearly five dozen American military interventions in Latin America in the last century and a half or so tell us oh we played a role in some of this destabilization and and that's That's what it comes right down to. In my mind, there are two truths. In many ways, first truth, we broke it and need to fix it. And number two, doing so means fewer people feel the need to leave their home countries, meaning fewer would arrive here. I mean, that's how you fix this. I also find that there are two prevailing thoughts within the conservative political culture in this country. The one being, again, the white nationalism Uh, you know, undertone, the the fear of the replacement, the the great replacement theory, the fear that uh, white American culture is going to be replaced by something less familiar to that white Protestant heteronormative culture. Then there's also the political uh, survival instinct on the right, that there's this mindset that Democrats are trying to be permissive about allowing people who are brown or black coming into this country because that's going to churn out more liberal or progressive voters. The funny thing is Hispanic people in general tend to be Catholic and thus somewhat, if not overtly religious, and socially conservative. There's the economic impact. In in fact, immigrant workers, according to the Washington Post, recovered much faster than native-born workers from the pandemic's disruptions, and many saw some of the largest wage gains in industries eager to hire. Let me spell out why that is. It's not because... Companies, businesses, employers are just being kinder to immigrants because they're liberal. No immigrants, in many cases, work jobs that native-born Americans won't. This again is the the sticking the 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 the, 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 poking the stick in the bike spoke (laughs) that you're that you're writing thing. We legislated ourselves into a bit of a corner by attacking undocumented immigration that in many forms works in food production or agriculture and we're screaming about the cost of groceries. (laughs) Another thing you'll learn about me, the liberal progressive, is that I take the stance that if you don't want stray cats on your porch all the time, stop putting out the kibble. But Ron, you're a cat guy. My point is, go after those who are illegally hiring. Why aren't we doing that? Well, those folks tend to have deeper pockets. Folks who have deeper pockets tend to vote uh, back after this. Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email Ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. You know, one of the cool things about getting older is you can just say shit and people go, oh, that's just so-and-so. Isn't that endearing? <laughs> Susan Titus has captivated a lot of the political world by just saying what's on her mind yesterday. Here is this Michigan voter, retired professor, 80-year-old Susan Titus.
3: NATO is a bulwark against uh, Russian aggression, uh and uh, he he was ready to walk out of that there are other ways he he treated the people of muslim uh religious background uh his uh dirty mouth uh i think he's pretty much an asshole uh, to to coin a phrase um, and it's terrifying to to me um, at 80 uh to think that he would be one of the last presidents. Uh, he could decimate social programs that I've been committed to and worked on for a very long time. Uh, and, and so there's a whole variety, as well as his his personal way of dealing with uh, people and the world.
0: <laughs> that is retired professor, 80-year-old, hey, 80 and still sharp as a tack, I'm just saying, Susan Titus, a Michigan voter who... Uh, NBC News (laughs) got some uh, (laughs) woman-on-the-street commentary from. By the way, uh, Joe Biden received, uh, so far, it looks like 81.8% of the vote in Michigan. The media cannot stop fawning over the uncommitted percentage, which I think speaks more to the other candidates on the ticket. Uh, Marion Williamson, who... We've had on the show, lovely lady, um, and Dean Phillips, who finished behind Marianne Williamson. Marianne, for her part, by the way, is unsuspending her campaign. My guess is there's some money that needs to be paid, and she needs to fund her. I, I, just guessing. Just guessing. Um, anyway, she received 3% of the vote. Dean Phillips, 2.7%. Uncommitted, 13.3% of the vote. The media is giving a lot of oxygen to the uncommitted thing okay that that's fine but l- let's give this some proper perspective Joe Biden got 81 percent 81.1 percent it looks like it, that that's not that, that could fluctuate there's still numbers to come in 81.8 percent of the Michigan vote let's go back to 2012 Barack Obama the incumbent Democrat running for re-election in 2012 in Michigan. On May 5th, 2012, 89.3%. Only 8.2% more than the incumbent Joe Biden got. And Barack Obama wasn't in his 80s. I happen to think that there's just a lot of fluff when it comes to discussing the uncommitted portion of the Michigan base. And, and listen, I'm not unconcerned. A lot of Democrats are unconcerned. I'm very concerned about any peel-off uh, of uh, the mosaic that is the moderate, liberal, progressive voting bloc. Very concerned. Because we win by razor-thin margins in states like Michigan and Pennsylvania. I... If I'm a, in fact, if I were a betting man, I would tell you that I don't see how, I just don't see a path where Joe Biden wins the state of Georgia. And as much as that makes me nauseous to think that I live in a state where people will turn to the man Susan Titus says is kind of an asshole who is ready to leave NATO and abandon our allies. And, and that's not even like, among the, the worst of the, the transgressions that come out of that man's mouth that concern me about him being president again, it it, it sickens me that I live in a state. I love my state. I, I'm so proud of Georgia and, and how far this state has come and how cosmopolitan Metro Atlanta is and how beautiful the mountains are and how amazing a city Savannah is, how my hometown of Augusta has just grown by leaps and bounds in my own hometown, little old Grovetown, Georgia, is just a booming little bedroom community of more than ten thousand. When it was maybe three thousand when I was a kid there, I'm so proud of this state. And yet, I was really proud in 2020 because I thought, oh, maybe we've turned a corner. The results of the 2022 gubernatorial race, however, eh, give me pause. There are those who point to the Senate races and go, "But Georgia Democrats win Senate seats." I and, and this is no shame, no, no t no shade to, to John Ossoff and uh, Raphael Warnock, Reverend Raphael Warnock. I don't think Democrats won those seats as much as Republicans lost them. Poor candidates. Candidate choice matters. But I guess my point is, this this strain of uncommitted... I, I don't think it's as much of a story as the media wants to make it out to be. And I do think they want to make out... Uh, I think there's this 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 uh, predilection within national political media in particular to want a tight horse race, to give both side-isms, and there's not a lot of attention in my mind being paid to the fact that D- Donald Trump, the presumed nominee himself, is underperforming as well. And we could talk about Nikki Haley. My gosh. I It... it a hundred years from now, sociologists will study what happened to the GOP in the Trump era and just have a field day with this. Donald Trump, by the way, got 68.2% of the vote yesterday in Michigan to Nikki Haley's 26.6. Uncommitted on that ticket, got three percent. Anyway, I was I was talking about the fascination that I think sociologists will have with the GOP because in a lot of ways. Nikki Haley is viewed as a moderate. She ain't a moderate, y'all. And when I see man on the street, woman on the street commentary, what was it, the bowling alley in New Hampshire, where the woman said, yeah, I I might consider voting for Nikki Haley. Wait, what? Do we have that?
3: Listen to a conversation I had with a lovely lady named Mariah a little bit earlier
2: at the bowling alley. Here's how she described it.
3: I am heavily left. Yeah? Um, And, uh, yeah, I think that both sides could do better. Yeah. Do you think democracy is in danger? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think New Hampshire... It's going to go for Donald Trump or Nikki Haley? Hope Haley. Yeah? I hope Haley. Would you consider Haley? Yes. You would? Yeah. Even though you're heavily liberal?
3: Yes. Why? Because I think both sides have had their fill of old white men mm-hmm. and it's time for a younger, more
2: new blood to come in that have broader scope and are willing to work with the other side, because right now it's just toddlers screaming over their toys and wanting to go home and wanting to win. So maybe give a woman a shot? I know, funny. (laughs) If it's Haley versus Biden, who would you vote for? Haley. Oh, my God. Yeah.
3: Wow. Yeah, mostly over his politics with Israel right now.
0: Okay, all right. You know, the, the, the Israel politics thing is a real thing. The thing I don't get, though, is that Nikki Haley, Donald Trump, they're no better when it comes to Israel. They're no better when it comes to just about anything that that woman Mariah, the New Hampshire bowling alley employee, who could we turn Cindy Lauper down so I can hear Mariah? Anyway, uh, turning Cindy Lauper down to hear Mariah. If that is not the gayest thing I've said in a while. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's kind of short sighted, and and we lose, we we lose. Side of the fact that Nikki Haley is no moderate. My God, the Daily Show telling us this. There's
2: been a lot of talk about Nikki Haley this week and how she's staying in the race despite having worse odds than the New York Mets winning next year's Super Bowl. <laughs> I have to say, I'm actually glad she's staying in the race. Because even if you don't agree with her politics, she still really pisses Donald Trump off.
0: Yeah, where is and that? That's
2: a beautiful thing. Yes.
0: All right, so listen, I got to take a quick break, but when I come back, I want to give you a little bit more of this piece from Comedy Central's Daily Show of all things. I know people laugh. Oh, you left us. You're learning from the Daily Show. You know, there's a, a lot of truth in humor, and sometimes the reason we laugh is because the truth is so obvious, right? Nikki Haley's not a moderate, and we need to remind ourselves and those of us within our own camp that that is the case. I'll make that case for you in minutes when The Ron Show returns on the American One Radio app, com, wherever you podcast. So we're in the home stretch. Thank you for listening to The Ron Show. So I was watching The Daily Show one day last week, and I kind of put a thumbtack in this segment because I need to get around back to this because I think this is a valid point. There are a lot of folks who are looking, and listen, arguably on the left, we, we heard from Mariah, the New Hampshire bowling alley employee or was she a patron, she was sort of dressed either way, right? Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to take a shot at bowlers. I actually enjoy bowling. My hand doesn't, but uh, I do. Um, no, there, there are a lot of folks who are kind of looking, we're, we're so focused in the media, I think, on the uncommitted voter that actually really didn't put all that much of a dent in Joe Biden's numbers in Michigan. I think the dent in Joe Biden's numbers would come from Nikki Haley. And there's some scuttlebutt about maybe Nikki Haley will be that um, what's it the no labels candidate or the uh, uh, the the one who makes the uh, the run at the independent. I mean, she's not pulling enough Republican voters. And again, I think sociologists will have a field day with this. 100 years from now, what happened to conservative voters who flocked to Donald Trump, who is not a conservative, when Nikki Haley actually is? She is more conservative than Donald Trump. And yet this man, this cult of personality has just totally swept over the uh, controls of the GOP. Nikki Haley is the more conservative candidate, and yet she is not getting any traction whatsoever. Of course, famously not even in her own home state. So I want to go back to this uh, Daily Show segment from last week where they definitely point out that Nikki Haley is the more conservative candidate, and anybody who is thinking left of center about voting for her, whether it be in the primary, okay, okay, I get it, You're you're trying to dilute Donald Trump's power, I guess, to avoid a catastrophe, but Nikki Haley versus Joe Biden, and you choose Nikki Haley, if you're left of center, what are you doing?
2: I have to say, I'm actually glad she's staying in the race, because even if you don't agree with her politics, she's still... Really pisses Donald Trump off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Right, right, right. She is clearly on his enemies list, along with the law and waistbands. <laughs> but she's not just the only <laughs> Trump alternative in the GOP race. According to the media, she's also the only moderate one. Nikki Haley has sort of this moderate,
3: old-school Republicanism. She's
0: become the candidate of
3: the moderates. A moderate candidate like Nikki Haley, who is increasingly an outsider in the Republican Party.
2: Yes, obviously Nikki Haley is a moderate. It's something that everybody knows, like Joe Biden is old, or RFK is a biohazard, or Tim Scott is crying on the inside. It's just a fact that nobody disputes. But is it a fact? Is Nikki Haley the moderate in the race? Because when you actually take a look at her policies, they aren't that different from Trump. She also wants to build the wall she also wants mass deportations she's also opposed to obamacare and the paris climate accords and in fact on abortion she's even more extreme than trump yes she supports a national ban after six weeks before most women even know that they're pregnant at six weeks the symptoms are fatigue and stomach issues and women can't take a pregnancy test every time they get bubble guts she doesn't care about women's issues. It's that she has a very unmoderate idea of what women's issues are. The idea that we have biological boys playing in girls sports. It is the women's issue of our time. (laughs) Really, Nikki? That's the women's issue of our time? Not Abortion access, or equal pay, or even how to part your hair so teens don't bully you. <laughs> Never thought I'd say this, but Nikki Haley is so bad at knowing what women actually want. I think maybe her husband should order for her at restaurants.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So most of her policies aren't more moderate than Trump. And if you ask her, she herself doesn't identify as a moderate. Bingo. On the campaign trail, Haley has made it very clear that she
0: says she's not a moderate.
3: I have been a conservative fighter all my life. I was a Tea Party candidate when I became governor. And we passed one of the toughest illegal immigration laws in the country. We passed pro-life bills. We took on the unions and we took on Obama when it came to the unions, the Syrian refugees and everything in between. She says
2: she's not a moderate. Believe women.
0: (laughs) Mm, 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 mm,
2: mm. (laughs) So again, if she doesn't say she's a moderate and her policies aren't moderate, why is everyone calling her a moderate? I guess it could be her demeanor. She's certainly the only candidate speaking at her moderate volume. (laughs) You got Trump screaming so loud, AT&T satellites are exploding. And then you got Biden at every press conference whispering to the ghost of Christmas past. Just using a proper inside voice is going to seem like a breath of fresh air. But that can't be all of it. When it comes down to it, there's only one real difference between Nikki Haley and Donald Trump that's getting her this label. Do I think Joe Biden is the legitimate president? Yes. That's
0: it. That is it. No. True. Wow, that's it. Wow.
2: What a reasonable middle-of-the-road answer. <laughs> the man who won the election won the election. <laughs> but that's where we're at. That is the big split in the Republican Party today. Do you think Joe Biden won the election? Or did you take a shit on Nancy Pelosi's desk? <laughs>
0: All right, enough about that. Listen, I I, I I could sit here and report on some of the court stuff yesterday. Uh, Terrence Bradley, who is Nathan Wade's uh, former law partner and divorce attorney. Here's the here's the gist of what you needed to know from yesterday's hearing.
1: Wade, were in a romantic relationship, correct? Correct. And um, it began at the time that they were
3: both municipal court judges, correct? I, Objection, Your Honor, based on privilege. That would overruled. Be in the attorney, okay, overruled. I do not have knowledge of it starting um, or when it started. Um, she told me that it started when they were both municipal court judges, though, correct? That is incorrect. Uh,
0: so that's uh, that. That is and and Ashley Merchant, by the way, who um said that she had text messages that spelled out a different story from Terrence Bradley between the two of them, showed up at this hearing without the damned text messages. How do you do that and call yourself a sharp attorney ma'am? How do you waste everyone's... In fact, I don't even know how Scott McAfee did not blow up at her when she said... I, 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 so, uh, some of us have iPhones and some of us have Androids, and, uh, I didn't really know how to. Wait, what? You didn't show up with your homework? Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think, I think that's probably going to be it as far as this entanglement, uh, brouhaha goes. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but uh, I, I failed. I just failed to see where any any sort of solid case has been made that Scott McAfee... And by the way, they'll they'll reconvene on Friday. There's another hearing to be had. Uh, closing arguments, I believe. So we'll get these closing arguments. That I just I think the evidentiary part tells us they didn't bring enough evidentiary. There's not enough evidence, a- a- and we can sit here and opine about. Well, it looks like maybe. And then there's, but do you have the proof? And I've said, I've been on the record for quite a while here, for a few weeks in following this, uh, this story. Well, two things. One, this is obviously a distraction, just some way to delay the trials from going forward because the case, let's give Fonnie Willis and her office this much credit. Nathan Wade as well. The case is really strong otherwise you wouldn't have four co-conspirators who've already pled guilty and taken lesser charges lesser punishment because they're cooperating that's the that's the blood in the water for Trump and his remaining co-conspirators. they know they're kind of no the the case is very strong. this is a distraction this is the delay tactic but I I have also been pretty I think forthright for someone who is a liberal progressive uh, pundit, that I, I think Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade really took some liberties uh, and imperiled this case with personal decisions. And, I mean, at the very least, while you can't ever dictate when someone starts dating and when someone stopped dating, and I think the valid case was made that Fonnie actually tried to hire other people ahead of Nathan Wade a former governor of the state of Georgia for crying out loud who went and testified that that is the case, swore an oath under oath that yeah, she came to me and I I'm too busy and I really don't like having personal security. Like I did when I was governor, I kind of don't want to deal with the the, the guff, which uh, by the way, speaks volumes for where MAGA culture is right now. When a former Good old boy governor. I mean, he's he's. I mean, he's a moderate. He was a moderate. Anyway, um, when when a former governor says, "I really just don't want a security detail anymore," and I know that that's what was going to happen, and that's what Vonnie Willis testified to as well. So. Still, the missteps were were, were, were there. There's obvious uh, you should have thought this through. And, you know, really, I, I get that the heart wants what the heart wants. But can you guys just kind of cool it for a little bit? Because you've got a really important case to deal with. And, you know, these monsters are going to try and nitpick every way around this. Have we not seen Donald Trump and his army of lawyers? Well, the ones who eventually, you know, take off and go AWOL on him because he doesn't pay. Anyway. Have we not seen Trump's armies of lawyers try to nuance and delay at every point in turn? Cool your jets, kids. You can date afterwards if you want to. And and the money thing, I I I said from from the outset, oh, I thought Nathan Wade was in a lot of trouble or put Fonnie in a lot of trouble when he said he didn't have receipts and that she paid cash. Because at that point in time, oh, well then obviously Fonnie Willis should have bank records that show she goes to an ATM machine to get this cash. And then Funny says, no, it's in my mattress. Believe it or not, I and, and I can understand why people wouldn't believe it, it's hard to disprove. And that's where all of these cases just come asunder. They just crumble under the weight of inability to prove. And yesterday, I think, pretty much summed that up. I don't think we're going to have any new things pop. I mean, maybe we will. We've got till Friday, and it is only Wednesday. But I think uh, at the end of closing arguments, I think Scott McAfee's decision is going to be pretty swift, and uh, I think this case gets back on track, and we then we can get back to paying attention to the actual case that the world is watching. The state of Georgia uh, adjudicate right. All right, that is going to do it for the Ron Show. I'm running low on time, and I appreciate you for listening. Thank you for doing so. Back here, uh, we do the replay 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, com, And, of course, air weekdays, 9 to 10 a.m. firsthand. You can also listen wherever you podcast. Show notes at ronchoatl.com. Have yourselves a great one. We'll see you tomorrow.